Hello. Hello, Rebecca. It's Beatrice. Hello, Beatrice. How are you? I'm fine. I'm a bit... I'm actually not that cold at this Good. point. Um, enjoying the sunshine. What about you? The sunshine is so nice. I'm, I'm, I would say I'm medium to not cold. Um, but I think I told you I was on the picket line for the strike against taking away the, yes. the, or like attacking the lecturers pension. So I was very, very cold. Yeah. I, I was just thinking earlier, which is um, maybe a, a, a very um, lightweight thing to say when you were on the picket line, but I just, I was thinking this weather just hasn't, that doesn't give any good fashion opportunities if you, un, unless you like moon boots, really. I think. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think it, I was wearing so many layers. It's like that point where you may not be able to bend your arms anymore hmm. of how many layers you can wear. Um, but it was it was cold, but you know have to support UCU yes. union. So Very yes, good. I will be continuing with that. But this time I will remember to wear a hat. Okay, that was a really bad omission on my part. Okay, okay, that's my advice: wear hats, wear earmuffs. Yeah, when when on the picket line in cold weather. When on the picket line, yes, yes, layer it up. Yeah, I'm sure the suffragettes had some sort of advice like that. Oh, I would imagine. Mm. I wonder if they've written about that. Well, I... I it seems like good practical advice. They they had that magazine, so I, I think they probably yes. did. And some people sort of mentioned, they quote bits of it, but I, I should at some point really sit down and read through it. Um, I'm sure there was advice. There must be, because also your feet get very cold and your mm. legs. So they must have had some stocking action going on yeah they didn't have moon boots so they didn't no but maybe they i don't know oh mm. that's mm, now i want to know <laughs> i want to know picket line advice through history we can because it's it is actually important yeah we can research it over the next yeah week. We'll, we'll find out more yeah yeah definitely let's do but that. what have you been doing well my my week was pretty much dominated by the pleasure garden at the museum of london um we've been we we finally it's been in it's been up since 2010 and really god i, I know it was that long that went fast yeah it was mid may 2010 i think we opened it so and we had changed in the meantime we changed one garment um because we had to but the rest had been on display so we really really needed to change them. yeah so my colleague, Tim Long, he's working on the new... We haven't sort of totally taken it down. We're just changing the mannequins or the clo right. clothes the mannequins wear, I should say. So um, I was sort of in... I was... Me and two colleagues, um, we were taking them down. So we took the mannequins out and then we undressed them. And then we had to wrap everything up for freezing, which was sort of half of the time we spent doing that. But it was... Oh, why do you have to freeze them? Um, just in case, um, because they the they are in cases that are sealed. But just in case any bugs got in there, I see. We don't want to introduce any bugs into the store, so we wrap them up in plastic and seal them up, and then we now have to get them through our freezer. It's like ten. 10 times worth of freeze, freezer load, so it'll take quite a long time. Wow. You have to keep it in three days each time. Um, so we're going to do that. Um, and it was it was interesting um, just thinking about when we first did it. I mean, the, the install is not that interesting. 
Um, but it made me sort of think about how how we put it all together um, in the first place and also how terrified I was. Um, I remember coming to the museum and I hadn't actually looked at that many 18th century clothes and early 19th century. Right. And you mean when you took the job? Yes. So yeah. um, my predecessors, they had actually selected most of the outer garments and we we used oh. pretty much all of them. But I, you know, it it can, you could go so wrong when you mount things and I can't do it. So I have to rely on other people. And we had quite a lot of conservators involved, but still, you need to know what it's meant to look like. And what, what are the sort of main issues when you're mounting 18th century dress? Um, I guess it's sort of similar to to other dress, but the, the the main issue is you you don't start with a body you make clothes for. You have the clothes, and then you have to figure right. out what kind of body it was on, and. Um, the body might not be a body you get a mannequin in. So, you know, you need to, a lot, all of the mannequins in the pleasure garden were custom made. Um, so, and then you might want, you might not have a complete garment, so you might need something else. And that might be a slightly different size from the other things. Right, so you right. need to make them work together. And then also you almost don't want a body like the one, the like the person who used to wear the garment because you need to get the garment onto the mannequin. So, of so usually, I mean, I was really worried we were we were wheeling the mannequins through the galleries um, back to the store, and I was actually worried people would give us um, grief about them because you know because they have such weird shapes <laughs> and they're really really thin. They're really thin arms because you have to get the, everything oh, yes. over the arms, and I thought yes. people might think we're trying to promote some sort of odd body shape. But they look so obviously not like humans. I mean, they so obviously yes. have a different shape. Um, but that's so interesting because, yeah. it, because it is really difficult to dress mannequins, even if it's, you know, sort of ready-made clothes on a standard mannequin body. Yeah. That's Let alone, yeah. And exactly. And also when you photograph things, you know, the there's the famous photographs from the 50s with mannequins having clips on the back um, yeah. just to make. Um, governments look differently and of course we can't do that um, no, so no. you know you're forever stuffing sometimes we you know we like it to look smooth at the front and then we stuff lots of tissue at the back and then when you turn it around you switch around all the tissue and then I feel bad because we're giving a slightly wrong impression um, of the garment um, but usually you have to do that because you just haven't quite the right size mannequin um, yes and I was wondering it's also it's it's you know you we work with conservators and we had four people working on the galleries of modern london um including someone called janet wood who's absolutely amazing at mounting garments but not you know it's not everyone's thing it's not like you know it, it needs a particular kind of eye and skill so, yes um um so that was it was just quite scary i just thought it might all go totally wrong um, and it's such like sorry to interrupt but it's yeah. such a like interesting art form craft form I don't know because it's one of those things where if it's done well you don't notice it at mm, all exactly but it's so jarring mm, when exactly. you see things and there's like a gap between the clothes and the mannequin or it looks asymmetrical or you you it can be so jarring or it? the last time I noticed it, I went to the, the Lanvin exhibition at the Galliera, which had mm. beautiful clothes in it. But I think at that point they had three other exhibitions on around town. So they obviously right. had run out of mannequins. 
And a lot of the 20s garments were almost like mini dresses. Yes. And that that really jarred with me. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, it, it actually, you are totally right. It's something you only notice when it's not done that well. Um, yes. But I was also and saying, then it, yeah. no, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, and then it becomes almost all you see. Yes. That mm. you, you just, you're, uh, because you've seen it, you start looking at every single one to see how, whether yeah. that one were. Yeah, exactly. Mm. The other thing is we were, we were you know, the, this incarnation had the Philip Tracy hats. I was um, going to ask you about those, yes. Yeah, so they, they will not be used for the next um, incarnation because they were made specifically to work with certain garments. They weren't, I see. They weren't reproductions of original styles, and we knew that, so they were sort of modern mm. hats, um, but they were made the color and everything for specific garment, uh, garments. But that was quite interesting in a way because um, there was a lot of discussion when we did that about it, whether we should do it because it's mixing old and new. Yes. And I don't know whether I ever told you, I had one email from someone who really, really complained about it. Wow. Um, and they said, I, I come to the museum to find out the truth and you now lying. Goodness. Um, oh, my goodness. I thought it was really wonderful. I, I think... You know, museums aren't dead places. History isn't dead. And the idea of having one of the leading milliners inspired by interpreting... You know, you weren't trying to say that this was an 18th century hat, but the idea of having something inspiring someone now, I think, is really beautiful. And they were such beautiful, or they are such beautiful mm. hats as well. And it's very... It's a very uh, particular, shall I say, idea of history that there is the truth and you just tell the truth because you've already explained how we can't tell the exact truth without the body of the person who originally wore it and you know you can't exactly recreate no and you're continually interpreting exactly in the whole I mean I had some issues almost more with um we, we, we gave all of them accessories and when we, you know, mm. we, we decided at some point, okay, we're going to make them up totally with jewellery, with, um, you know, ruffles and everything you would have had. Um, and of some of these, as much as we, we could, we, we used stuff from our collection, but sometimes we didn't have the right sleeve ruffles or we didn't yes. have enough. So we made some and um, I've that in a way I, I almost now think is sort of, you know, the whole thing was a construct in a way. The the actual yeah. garments were correct, and and as much as possible, we used objects from the collection. But um, ah. I think the other thing is people often think these garments were actually worn at a pleasure garden. Um, yeah. And I don't know whether anyone has a garment that is knowingly, you know, knowingly has yes. been worn to a pleasure yeah. garden. I don't think so. So I don't know that that I can see why someone why. I don't know, the, the people who complained always seem to suggest that they could tell the, the hats yeah. were not, not right, but no one else would. Well, um, I think it's also, it's like people who think a documentary film is a straight rendition of truth yeah. or a photograph is a straight rendition of truth. You know, truth is something that's up for negotiation mm. and there's different perspectives. But also, like I said, museums are about interpretation. Exactly. And they're alive and they're connected to the current world and they're showing you how history is connected to the current world and so I think being really kind of dogmatic and saying it must be truth will 
we can't do truth because no. we can't re we can't bring the 18th century back to life Mm-mm. what we can do is show ways that make you think about it like make you think about what a pleasure garden was and what kind of clothes might have been worn there and what kind of accessories might have been done it so it's it's asking the visitor to think it's not just saying here it is just sort of check that off in your observer book of 18th century dress mm. yeah although we... i would like an observer book of 18th century dress now <laughs> yeah. i've said that. i know i wouldn't mind a documentary about one night in the pleasure garden um oh oh yes that's a project we should work yeah. on yeah but um, we, we talk about that a lot in terms of thinking about you when we move to the new place. And we, mm. one of my colleagues... you're moving to Smithfield, yeah, aren't you? One of a, form, a former oh, a colleague um, called John Clark, he, he gave a talk to us the other day about different ideas about Roman London and how in the past... Oh, interesting. There was one historian, I can't remember which one now, who that the Romans actually basically never came. Um, <laughs> and it... <laughs> That's very controversial. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit. And I just we we sort of talk a lot about how we how we can maybe make that more clear that what we're telling at this point is how we see it now. But mm. it might you know people might come with other ideas. But then we also think maybe visitors don't want to know that. By you know maybe we're just too navel gazing preoccupied with that kind of no, thing. But. No, no, no. But I don't think that's true. I think you it have would be... to push people. Like mm. you're not just showing because I mean I don't know. Like thirty, forty years ago, people would have thought you only show the elite and you don't show um, people of color and mm. you don't show you know. And it's like was that the truth? Yes. And you yeah. and you show history as linear. Mm. So it's like history has to move on, and the way that you study history and the way that you show history. Mm has to move on because we know it's wrong to just look at white elites mm. and that isn't what the past was and that isn't what the present is so no no I said <laughs> okay well I've thank made you a decision. <laughs> thank you're you welcome. for that instruction <laughs> you're welcome but I think if we were going to do it again at some point I I interviewed um for an article I interviewed um a lot of people who were involved in it I think 16 or so and that wasn't everyone who was you know, involved wow. in, in putting it together. And that was designers, various conservators. And yes. and one of the designers who was involved early on, but, you know, even I think when I came to the museum, he had already left. He said that what he thought now is it he, he would have gone more more abstract. So, you know, we have actual oh, trees in the pleasure garden. So our 3D designer went to a wood and um, selected trees. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, they're really actual trees. Um, but I, I probably now, and I probably now would have it all white, or you know, to to make it obvious that it is a con- mm. construct, because at the moment it's sort of semi-real, or yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not entirely sure about that. Um, well, I think, I mean, you're bound to feel you will, you know, be unusual if you did want to do it the same. Exactly. Yeah. Again, and I think it's also, well, yes, you know. Evidence is a, is alive to interpretations mm. and to recont. You know, people think so much more when you recontextualize things rather than just you know confirm things they know already. Mm. Mm. But it's I mean it's a beautiful display. Oh, so when when will it be re 
reinvigorated. Yeah, it will be um, in three weeks. Um, so we some of the figures that have come out have to be reused. So we couldn't just do a swap. We couldn't just prepare. Yeah. And I say we. I really haven't got much to do with the new incarnation. It's really my colleague Tim Long. Um, yeah. So. It'll, I think it'll be reinstalled in, in about three weeks. Um, right. And then there'll be a sort of grand opening. It would, that, sounds, that sounds like a lot of fun. And it would be really good, like you say, to use those interviews that you did in some way. Mm, yeah, no, that was really, really interesting just to show how many people it takes. Yeah, and how um, many decisions have to be mm, made and mm, compromises. And... Exactly, yeah. Mm. What have you been up to this week? Um, well, it was the final like taught seminar for my MA documenting fashion students. Oh wow! Sort of after this, obviously it's disrupted by the strike. But after mm. this, it's there's like about two or three weeks of well, th this coming week they're going. They're in New York. Oh like nice! I, we've booked them a bunch of visits to storerooms and exhibitions, um, and then it's like presentations and things. So this was the last kind of you know taught in the strictest sense yeah. kind of. Way. And, oh, they're such good students. They're such a wonderful, wonderful group. And the, the course, as you know, covers like 1920 to 1960, or this part of the course does. Mm. So we ended in the 50s. So we'd had a class the week before um, looking at colour. So looking at the ways that um, colour was used in 1950s ready-to-wear and the kind of really bright dissonant colors and how that related to both dyeing processes synthetic fabrics um whether it kind of undercut the sort of stereotypical 50s you know put together woman because you know the when i went to sort of storerooms it was incredible they were like emerald green with red and yellow yeah. with red like really kind of dissonant colors mm. and we ended by we read this brilliant article that's about I don't know if you've heard of Shirley cards. Um, no. It's like the card that um, is, it's like, it's always been a picture of a woman and it's the card that um, film stock is tested against. So like if, if you were made, if you were shooting, oh, a video, okay. you test it, do you see? Yeah. Yeah. It's and like when we do photos, we sometimes have these cards. Yeah. Yeah. And they were women because it, it was all men who worked in labs so it was like little pinups for them as well. It was always white women because it was always white men. And it's this brilliant article that's about how, you know, we think physics is just physics, but it's not, you know, physics, mm. phys that physicists are part of the culture. Yeah. The culture was white and male. Mm. Therefore, film stock was entirely made to register white oh, skin tones. That's so interesting. Mm. And this is the... Like, that's bad enough. But the reason they started to to increase the range of skin tones was because chocolate and furniture manufacturers complained that they weren't registering the browns of their products. Can oh, you believe really? that? Isn't that that's terrible? Incredible. So that was when they started to use a wider range. But they still tended to use, um, you know, pale-skinned people of color. Mm. And... So that was kind of really fascinating because it sort of bridged between that class, which was about color and kind of problematizing color by the end of the class. And then this week we um, talked about Gordon Parks, who I think is just brilliant. And 
his fashion photography, his documentary mm. photography, and in particular, this series that's over several issues of Life magazine on segregation in the South from mm. 1956, that's just one, like, just so brilliantly conceived, brilliantly composed. And um, we read from his autobiography. Oh, yeah, I've he, got that, but I haven't read it for oh, years. Oh, it's really good. Because mm. mm. um, it's so... I don't know, he's very insightful. He's very sort of, you can tell from his photographs that it's like he can spot a photograph instantly. Do you know what I mean? Like he can, yeah. you feel that he could look across a room or a street or something and he can see the composition out of the chaos. He can just spot it. And yeah, so he talks about how he went down there and Life magazine had hooked him up with someone down there to sort of you know, actor's guide, but also protection because yes, he was a black man exactly. going to the south. Yeah. And it's so terrible because they didn't, obviously Life magazine didn't realise, but it was someone who was, who was involved with like the Ku Klux Klan mm. or like friends with the Ku Klux Klan. So he and there's a black reporter from the south who's also there with him. It's like they just have this terrible time. Like it's just awful. Like they just miss getting tarred and feathered. They're yeah. having to like send people in as like dupe reporters so they can in the meantime shoot somewhere else without being interrupted. Um, a family that they took photographs of gets gets thrown out of their house and run out of town. So Life magazine pays, you know, for them to completely relocate and start their lives again. It's really horrifying. Mm. It's And I think the photographs are brilliant because I mean they're brilliant on many levels because they're very seductive like they're, they're aesthetically very pleasing you know they're, they're really lovely color combinations they're beautifully composed and then you suddenly realize their import and I think the use of not the use of dress but the the recording of dress with them in within them is really important because it shows how kind of white bourgeois ideals are being imposed as, as a sign of respectability but then black people still have to go to the sign that says coloured when they buy their children a Sunday. Mm. you know it's it's and there's an amazing one I don't know if you know of um is it the woman a, and the little girl yes the yeah, one in the, I think you have, that's incredible I might have you might have had it on Instagram or something I yeah. oh yes mm, probably mm, mm. That, that there's a grandmother and a child little girl looking through a shop window that's all little white child mannequins in dresses and then little girl's got like her finger up to the glass even so it's 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 yeah glasses transparency is separation it's very very beautifully done and there's another one of a very sort of prettily dressed little girl in a kind of like a little princessy dress and her mother um, looking very elegant, standing. Oh, that's the a one I meant, stop. actually. Mm. Oh right, mm. oh yeah. right, mm. yeah. And and there's like a non signs that says coloured, yes. which it's the coloured entrance, and just the fact that they do it in neon as though it's equivalent to you know advertising, advertising. signs or something. Mm. Really horrifying, and just so we were looking at them, and it was really they're so powerful. The ones where he clearly had to take them sort of surreptitiously, you get this sense of distance. So you're kind of looking in on this world. And at first it seems like an everyday, you know, family having a nice trip to buy a Sunday and ice cream. And then suddenly you realize there's two windows next door to each other 
for wiped and coloured. And I think the fact it was in Life magazine, so this mass market magazine is so important, but, you know, and he's such a brilliant artist, I think. And do you know, was Life, I was just wondering, was it based in New York? At, it, I yeah, I think okay. so, yes. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. And also, like, his fashion photographs, That I think there's such wit in them. Because um, I was thinking, like, Sally Kirkland was the editor from 1947, And I think she's really, really good. Like, she was at Vogue before. And I just read, I think it was Bettina Ballard, one of, um, I think it's Bettina Ballard's memoirs. But um, they describe her as, like, wearing, like, being very un-Vogue when she was there because mm. she was kind of athletic and wore a McArdle dress and a Phelps belt. And, you know, the, the Vogue women were much more sort of couture European-y fashion idea. And I like the idea of her at life and the kind of things that she was commissioning mm. at life um you know but his fashion work is really good and really again that there's they're quite quiet i think his photographs but really pa all the more powerful there's for that and a kind of amazing composition and am i imagine am i imagining it or there's often quite a lot of movement maybe there's a series That's him, isn't it? Of Galanos dresses mm. in movement that's incredible. Mm. Um, but some of them are very still. Mm. There's some that are, very, it's kind of the stillness. And also like um, bright, like pockets of bright light that, that, that kind of draw your eye to an absence, which mm. is very clever in some of I, his. I'll definitely have a look later. I, I, I remember looking at him when I was looking at. Um, black man in the sort of 40s 50s and there was yes. one particular article that described people wearing very sharp clothing and uh. and at that and that was sort of pre-internet and it was first of all a very quite hard to find images yes. at all in books and stuff and then also images that weren't showing the south and people being really uh. poor or um uh. and i think that's the first time i came across gordon parks because he was one of the few people who took some images um, that presented a, a different sort of community from, yeah. from what you could see in a lot of well, others. I, no, I, I think so. And I think he shows he shows people's humanity, whatever their color. Mm. And I think that, you know, there's, there's a series that he did that, you know, shows people going to church or just people playing cards at home. And there's such intimacy and such kind of empathy with his subject matter. Um, the Gordon Parks Foundation, have a look at their website. It's mm. really, really good because it gives you um, like an overview of his work and and they seem to be really active in, in you know, commission, not commissioning, but being involved in um, exhibitions mm. as well. Um, so I think it's it's really good. They seem to be sort of really actively encouraging people to sort of look at his work and, and think of his work in relation to now mm. as well. Um, I wanted to so, yes. ask you about something you said earlier mm. about um, imagining the 50s not in such bright colours. Mm. And wh why do you think that that is? Well, I don't know that we necessarily think of it as not in bright colours. Mm. I think it's that we think of it in nicely coordinating colours. Whereas when you actually look at the clothes, a lot of them are quite harsh colours. Mm. And some of them are very, very, uh, 
kind of controlling in the levels of color coordination. And you know I like some color coordination <laughs> in my life. But even for me, it's too much. Mm. So I went, because as you know, I've sort of been through a lot of American collections mm. or sort of East Coast collections in terms of 30s and 40s. And then I sort of had a look at 50s as well. And there's definitely, as you get into the 1950s, there are these really bright clashing colors. So like there's a, there's a, um, outfit by Claire McArdle that's this bright green, like emerald, um, blouse that's very shiny and then a bright scarlet jacket and a black skirt, mm. which you wouldn't expect that in the, in the thirties, for example. Mm. And, and Anne Fogarty, who I've sort of written about in terms of color and the fifties, she, she her dresses are insane some of them like one of them is it looks like it's made out of silver tinsel that you would put on a christmas tree you know it would be so scratchy and so <laughs> shiny and 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 i just felt that it kind of went i don't know i felt like it kind of made the idea of of women as just passive more problematic because mm. they were quite violently clashing in front of your eyes, mm. you know, cause just getting out of a car, you would be, you know, wearing your green dress with your red net petticoats showing, you know, it's just these incredibly, as I say, incredibly coordinated, but really, really bright. So there's like a knitted outfit that's red and red and yellow, like a checkerboard, but it's red and yellow knit, thick knit, sheath dress and matching coat that's red with a yellow lining wow and just imagining that mm. on the street it's so and with gold buttons you know just so there's a bit more and it just really struck me the the kind of sometimes odd color combinations really using synthetic so you can get you know that really really acidy color yes that you can get with sand synthetics and i just I think that that's often glossed over in films, even well, at the time. You know, I think so because when you were talking, I was sort of thinking about what colors I think about when I think of the fifties, mm. um, and then the, pho the photography, I guess, is still quite a lot of the time black and white. Yes, and um, I was, I think, I was for some reason thinking of Hitchcock, and I'm, mm. I, um, you will know much more about it than I do, but. It, you know, often the sort of, I don't know, maybe I was looking about the birds or Marnie or something. It always seems yeah. sort of be greenish. And, yeah, um, I think there's a lot of green and reds mm. or sort of corally colours. But we also, um, at the end of the class on colour, again, to sort of bridge into the um, Gordon Parks class, we watched a clip from Imitation of Life. And I think Douglas Sirk, I mean, he's mm. so brilliant. Yeah, that's incredible. Mm. But... The, the scene, we watched the scene where um, the mother, the black maid, goes to see her daughter who is passing as white. Mm. And she's in this um, kind of cabaret show. She's a showgirl. And he's really clearly using colors in their costumes that clash or like are difficult to look at. So they're wearing kind of this greenish yellow with turquoise with Van Diamante for all the showgirls' outfits. And it is like it's icky to look at, and it's kind of symbolizing the problems of mm. what this girl is doing yeah. and how that makes the mother feel. And I think his films are brilliant for that, that, that they do use some of the bright colors, but it's to convey emotions and mm. tensions between characters or 
in the action mm. um, because then the mother goes to visit her daughter in her motel and the mother is wearing sort of a deep blue and is and it looks like a linen and it's it's quite sort of covered up in a, like a respectable outfit and her daughter is just getting dressed to go out and she puts on this slinky dress that's clearly synthetic like black shot with like lurex you know that's sort mm. of sparkly so you can hear it as she puts the dress on you can hear the scratchiness of the dress and then her mother comes in and there's just you know the colors the tone the sound just everything is different between mm, the two between of the them two. Mm. yeah and this sense of artifice with the daughter who is who is passing as white um so i think i think he probably more than anyone does but i think the kind of um films like Hitchcock where there's such attention to every yes. extra's outfit and like mm. everything. They're much more controlled in terms of colour. But I think in pop culture it was it was much more lurid. But also, you know, I mean Anne Fogarty was selling to middle class women, so mm. I always would would have liked to have been on Regent Street um in the eighteen seventies or eighties, you know, when they had yes. all the aniline dyes. Because yeah. some of the dresses I've seen, I think sort of particularly they're like yellow and maybe yellow and green. Or so they, it, yeah. I think that must have been amazing. I don't know how many people would have had that at any one time, would have had these sort of really but bright But even if things. you just had two, that would yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Because you would have had such an expanse of, of, yeah. of skirt. And I, I, I always would have loved to have seen that because I think also, again, it, the same with the 18th century. I don't know why we always have this idea of, the 18th century being all pastels. Well, it's because artists edit I out guess. the layery mm. colours. Because, I mean, the focus is on, yes, on pastels and how it relates to skin tones and pearls and everything and, and you know, roses. But, yeah, I mean, there's so many kind of mustards and burgundies. And yeah, deep things. reds. When you look at, yeah, when you look at surviving dress, mm. aren't there? And it, I suppose it's like with the 50s that there's a kind of editing process that people aren't even conscious of perhaps mm. where they're putting together colors that will work within whatever form of rep representation and like you um, said earlier also how it, it it it's about a particular type of woman that is quiet yes. and sweet and yes um, not loud yeah yeah mm. exactly exactly mm. yeah it's it's so fascinating. I, I must send you this article about the Shirley cards. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I shall now um, wear something quite different from what I'm wearing at the moment. I need to get out all my bright clothes, I think, for today. Yes, please. Yeah. Clash. Yeah. Get some clashing going yeah, on. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, then. talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.